I'd like to start this off with a little <laughs> reminder to you, and that's just that a kiss is just a kiss. Yeah. A sigh is just a sigh as time goes by. Dude. God, this movie's so fucking good. All right. Welcome once again, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, to Critically Loud. I am Gus Andre, and my friend here is Kai Australia Kowal. In this season, we're looking at the classics, and for our classic pick from the 1940s, we picked, I was about to say the timeless, but it's not really timeless, because it very much takes place in, 19, in like 1942, is kind of the point of the movie. Uh, Casablanca. But it, yeah. I mean, it's timeless, but not timeless. It's, it's timeless in the way that it's not timeless. I mean, this episode's um, gonna be a dense one. This is just a warning for you, you listeners. Oh, also watch watch the movie like now if you haven't seen it yet. Like before before we say anything, literally anything. Watch the movie. It's excellent and very important to see. Yes, uh, and part of the reason why we'd say don't watch the movie is we're probably not gonna be doing like an overall plot synopsis. We're gonna talk about specific things, specific moments. If you haven't seen it, yep might not get it you're gonna get a lot of interesting information and history and um just how we feel about the movie but probably not what's going on overall yeah yeah because we're not gonna be able to like in delve like at this point you know rick decides to pull a gun on the the claude rains guy oh man uh renault renault yeah i was thinking of his name can't remember it this movie Um, has a fucking stacked cast I mean, yeah, well, uh, we'll get into kind of how casting worked and what it meant in the studio system, which is going to be a big part of this. But yeah, like, cast is fucking on point. And the supporting cast is also super on point with, like, character actors and people from this era of movies. Fucking, Um, what's his name? Ferrari is excellent. I love him. Yeah. um, And, like, the guy that plays Ugarty, also like him. Oh, uh, Peter Lorre. Yes, Peter Lorre, also fucking awesome. Um, I want to talk a little bit about him when we get into, like, the making of the movie. Because I think he's really interesting. And fascinating. All right, I'm ready. Uh, But the first thing I think we should talk about is just what were your impressions watching this movie, Kai? Because I'm I'm coming from a place where I had seen this movie many, many times over the course of my life. I watched it when I was young. It had a big impression on me then, and it's kind of had a huge impression on me now. Um, I quoted a lot, just not the quotes yes, you, you do. usually think of. Um, well, <laughs> like, I don't do the classic quotes a lot of the time. I'm I shocked! some weird random ones. Shocked to see there's gambling going on in this institution. That, that um, may be my favorite quote. I know there's more important ones and bigger ones, but I think that's my favorite quote in the movie. That's, it's a, one of the best. It, there's a lot of stuff like that, though. Um, but Kai, you'd only seen this movie, like, two years ago. We watched it together. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to just... Hmm, I need to transport us back to that moment. Because I don't know if you remember, <laughs> but our original intention was to watch the fucking Snyder Cut <laughs> with, like, McDonald's milkshakes in my basement. And then we didn't realize yeah, it hadn't it was, come um... out yet. So we watched Casablanca. Is that what happened? Yeah. Well, because I remember I, be like... Honest. I, I read a I read a Twitter post from Zack Snyder that said, like, one week. And I was like, oh, shit, that must mean the Snyder Cut's coming out. What I didn't know is he meant one week until, like, the official trailer, because only the teaser had been released. So 
we went to i was like hey gus you want to watch this probably ridiculous movie we'll see and he's like yeah we come to my house go to my basement look it up on hbo and I'm like why isn't it there i look it up some more it was only the trailer that came out and so my expectations for watching the snyder cut were dim- like destroyed and we ended up watching fucking casablanca instead <laughs> oh that's fucking great I knew, I thought we watched it on the same day. I forgot that those were two different days. Well, we were, we were both like exhausted after the Snyder Cut. Remember? Like we had to take, that's, we had to take a walk because like both of us were like dead afterwards. Cause that's a, that's a yeah. long movie. So just out of curiosity, what was your impression watching that movie for the first time? Cause it was one of the ones that I hyped up a lot yeah. growing up. Um, like, in middle school through high school. So I'm curious how you actually felt about it in that first viewing experience. It's interesting. Um, the first viewing, it didn't really do anything for me. Like, I thought it was a good movie. But I, like, I guess I was kind of expecting, like, this, like, wow, this is the movie to end all movie or something like that. Like, you know, uh, um, uh, something that would, like, change my perception on what cinema is forever and i finished watching it and i was kind of like yeah that was all right i enjoyed that and what i took out more from it the first time watching it was like i see like a a crazy amount of tropes that this movie invented was the big thing that i took away from it um you know you got like the han solo type character with rick you know uh you have the uh han solo-esque stuff with rick you have the uh the whole like love affair that ends up being you know brought in between by like this crew cut guy when like there's this roguish dude you know there's there's a bunch of stuff that you could talk about and that was what i mainly picked out as opposed to the story itself being good i thought it was okay and i think that's also like i was expecting the snyder cut so i wasn't in like the right mindset to watch like a movie movie um but then when i watched it this time i liked it like much more because I, I don't know, I don't think I picked up on how much it's, like, a war movie when I first watched it. I think I remember, I thought it was more of a romance movie. But it's, like... Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's really political in the way it exists, and I, like, completely missed out on that when I first watched it. So, I don't know. Yes, it, I, I felt the same way, actually, watching it that time with you. I actually regretted it putting it on. At that time, because I was like, this is not the right vibe. It's not, like, the right place. We were in your basement in, like, beanbags with kind of a smaller TV. And this is a movie-ass movie in the way of it's everything is big. The acting's big. The music's big. The dialogue is all about, like, high drama and also very, very good humor. Oh, that's a Um, funny movie. I forgot how funny it is. Yes. It's, it's fucking hilarious. I want to talk about, like, the script writing process later, because I think that, that had a huge effect on it. Yeah. And we watched it in a very small place the first time, and I felt like this would be a good opportunity for you to watch it in whatever setting you felt like you could watch it. And I watched it at home in, like, we have a very nice, like, viewing space where I watch a lot of movies. Just to get more in-depth, what was your, like, real overall impressions watching this movie the second time? Like, in your own... However you said it. How did you watch it? I, I watched it last night because I wanted to make sure I watched it like right before we recorded so it's still fresh in my mind. So it was like 
nine o'clock when I started, so it's dark out. You know, my mom's doing crossword puzzles. And my sister, I don't know what she's doing. Point is, is like it's a quiet house. I had the TV to myself. I just kind of sat. I had a pog in my hands, which is a Hawaiian drink, cause that shit's delicious. Um, and I just watched the movie. Like I sat down, didn't get up, took notes, and it was just uh, the the impression this time around was like, man, I. I really didn't watch this movie right. Like, it's not that I that I didn't understand it. I think I watched the movie incorrectly <laughs> the first time. Um, <laughs> like, I, I don't know. It, it it's. I think this movie is one where one. I think it helped having subtitles on because uh, I'm have a really hard time understanding the transatlantic accent. Um, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. It's a me thing. Every time I hear it, I'm like, I can't understand a single. I could understand. Uh, I could understand a Scott more than I could understand. <laughs> you know, uh, Humphrey Bogart most of the time. Um, but also just like this movie is much smarter than I remembered it being, you know, there's a lot of excellent social commentary. There's a lot of, uh, like the parallel between, uh, Rick and like the U S is one that I didn't even pick up before. Um, and like his neutrality also like really, really fun performances, like really over the top, hamming it up, you know, uh, like the love between uh, Ilsa Lund and Rick, uh, whatever his last name is, is like so just like you have the strings playing. You have they're like mashing their faces into each other when they kiss. You have the 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 Vaseline lens, you know, it, it's so perfectly <laughs> over the top, you know. Um, and I think just what I took out from it this time was it's like, OK, no, I get it now. I didn't get it last time I watched, like, I don't, like, it's it's a good movie, I guess, and I guess it was big because it obviously established these tropes, but then I watched it and I was like, oh yeah, this is a, this is a good-ass movie. I, I get, I completely yeah. understand why this became such, like, a phenomenon. Yeah, and I, and I think, like I said before, what makes this movie so good is that every single part of it is big. It's important, it's melodramatic, it's over the top. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, in like any other context if like something wasn't done right if it was made at a different time i don't think it would have worked like i i i think a good reasoning for that is there was when this movie was being made no one thought it was important because there were movies made like this like eight a year between all of the different studios no one thought it was going to be so important but just because of some stroke of fate all of the things mixed together just to hit all of these notes perfectly it's it's a phenomenon and it's like right people right time right climate you know it it just worked yeah i i I think i think it's very interesting um that you you got the impression that i wanted you to the first time i think this time yeah and i think a big problem with the first time we watched it was i just wanted you to see it so i could like bounce off of you for it but it was it was the wrong wrong way to watch it i i like i was watching and i was like this feels this doesn't feel as as good as I'm used to feeling when I was watching it. And then I watched it again, I think probably a bit over a year later in theaters, mm. I got to see it. Oh, yeah, when AMC and did their that thing. was, yeah, yeah, that was um that was quite the experience. That was a lot of fun. I'm sure. I'd, I'd love to do that. Yeah. It's it's a great movie. Well, bef- movie. before we get to that, like, you grew up with this movie. This was like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whereas I was introduced to it, like, two days ago or not two days you get what i mean recently this is a movie that's just been part of your existence like like for as long as you've known 
that you were Gus, you've also known that Casablanca was a movie. What, what, so, like, yeah, I, uh, every time you revisit it, what does that feel like? Because I'm sure you've watched it countless times. And, like, is it different? Like, do you discover new things? Or is it kind of more, like, you just keep watching it and you're it's just a solidification of, like, yeah, I love this movie, you know? Yeah, I I mean, a lot of the movies I've rewatched that I watched a lot when I was younger um, have I've, I've always found that it's like, oh, there's so much to this movie, and there's so many reasons why I love it. And while I do feel that way about Casablanca, part of it is is it's just, it's so much of a, a movie in mm. the, like, melodramatic sense that whenever I sit down and watch it, I can't help but just bury myself in it and just view it and enjoy it. So, all, I just, I just watch it. I'm just entertained by it most of the time. And... The romance is good, and the romance, it doesn't make me feel like the way um, I feel about a lot of modern romances. Kai, you know me, I'm a, I'm a sucker for any kind of oh, like, yeah. romance plot. West Side Story is one of my favorite movies, the original, um, and just any of that, like, I'm a sucker for it, you got me. And while I don't really get that, like, feeling of, like, oh my god, this love in it, I do think it set the groundwork for a lot of my love of like melodramatic over-the-top romance like shakespeare tragedy shit like that mm-hmm. um and it's just so goddamn good in every way the dialogue is so fun and it moves at such a good pace that i just i just like watching it <laughs> yeah um yeah this was my first time i did sit down just like with a notebook and watch it and i took notes and i took a good amount of notes and then like about halfway through the movie i was like yeah i feel like i've got covered most of the stuff and i just kind of got lost in watching the movie <laughs> dude can i can i read for you my last note that i or the two last notes i took for the movie i i Absolutely. took i wrote legit got so sucked in in the third act i forgot to take notes and then my last note good ass <laughs> movie yeah it's like that's part of what it is is it's it's just that good and and now i do want to move on into like yeah we gotta we gotta get the blood flowing the the talking going and what it is yeah yeah casablanca is this movie is a blend of i would say probably three primary genres Mm. i would say it's equal parts romance war movie and comedy yeah. And it's all really good versions of all of those things. It's a different kind of war movie than the war movies we know now. It's much more of a... Like, this movie was made while World War II was happening. It has some serious elements of propaganda in it. You know you know what it is? It, this is? it feels like... Oh, have you seen the new Pinocchio yet? The Guillermo del Toro? No, not yet. Okay. Well, just like... Without spoiling anything this movie interacts with war the same way that movie does where it's very much a character Mm. who is affected by the war but isn't like directly it's not like a war movie you know you're not sailing over vietnam and like bombing you know or anything but like you're it's it's these characters that live during the time of war that are indirectly or directly affected by the war but you never see the war you like you're you're never put in the shoes of private ryan or anything yeah and and in fairness this if you ever were to make a sequel to this movie you wouldn't no but if you were it would be a straight up war movie yeah <laughs> like that's that that's what the ending would implies that like that the next thing that would happen is you'd go you you'd see war um mm-hmm. because like part of it is the war is a is a character in this movie but 
it's also how Casablanca as like a setting is a character in this movie. Very early on, we see all of these background scenes of we're in a, a town full of people who just want to leave. They're trying to escape. They are refugees from a war. And they're all trying to find their own way to get a visa and leave. Right? Yeah. So you've got um, just trying to cover a few of like the, the side characters. You've got the couple who um, Renault or um, Claude Rains does some creepy ass shit too who are trying to leave my fucking Um, note there i was like bro fuck claude rains is in my notes yeah no yeah i i don't know if you remember that i always like that he's a bastard yeah he's supposed to be a bastard you all you always forget because he's like well he may be you know a jerk but at least he's funny and then he pulls that chain you're like all right goddamn fuck this guy no yeah no he was up until the end willing and trying to help the nazis for his own sake You've got this couple who are so desperate to just leave Casablanca. They don't have any money that the girl is willing to sleep with Renault to get her visas. And then you have, um, do you know the pickpocket? Oh, I fucking <laughs> love him. He shows up in like two scenes. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's like, um, be careful, there are vultures great, uh, out here. Yoink, wallet. Vultures everywhere. He, yeah, he's in two scenes, but he's like stealing someone's wallet. But the first thing he does is he tells us what's happening. Which mm, is, mm-hmm. like, he talks about how these do, two German couriers have been murdered. And that these two very special letters of transit have been stolen. So we're like, oh, now we know what's happened. And then he's like, be very careful, there are vultures. Vultures everywhere. And then he steals the wallet of the guy he's talking to and goes away. Yeah. It, it does, like, a double of exposition. Here's what you need to know for the rest of this movie to make sense. And here's what this town is like here's who people are you've got thieves you've got criminals you've got people being like swindled because this is the only place they could go to yeah well that's Um, something that's interesting like it's it's told by a person who is a representation of like the grittiness of casablanca just someone who's pulling heinous shit because you have to because that's the only way to survive yeah you know almost every single side character is a refugee from the war. Everyone who works in um Casa- in Rick's the bar, um, is a refugee. Like I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I know. I know that um, Rick's like g- lover that he sleeps with in the first scene, and then you know he leaves her because he's a bastard kind of. He's, yeah, he's an um, asshole. <laughs> yeah, I. I, if she wasn't a refugee, I'd be shocked because you get that scene where they sing the French national anthem and she's like crying. Dude, it, it's great. that scene. Okay, um, wait. I would like quick detour. That scene fucking wrecked me, dude. Like I didn't remember. Dude, uh, like the 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 music war or whatever you want to call it at all. That. Oh my god, dude. Her fo- that shot of her face and she's just like crying while singing her anthem. It's so fucking good. So I I actually wanted to talk about this and I think I guess this is a good a time as any. So. Do you know why that scene is so fucking good? Mm, No. It's because the majority of the supporting cast for this movie were actual refugees from World War II. Oh, fuck yeah. That's so sick. Like, Hollywood had just taken in all of these Jewish immigrants and all of these different people uh, fleeing from the war, finding work, and they all became, like, people who were actors where they were from. They all became these different side characters. And there was a little anecdote. I don't remember who it came from. But they were doing this scene, and they looked up, and they saw that half the cast was, like, actually crying in real life. And they realized, holy shit, this is, like, real for some people. 
and that's why that scene hits so hard is that a lot of those people were actual refugees they were actually like they felt that can i can i go on a bit on a detour for just like a second absolutely i go for it so when i was in uh i think it was the summer of 2019 i went to uh finland and estonia on a choir tour uh, to mm. participate in the Laulupidu festival, which basically means song festival. It's a thing. Biggest, uh, like, song festival in the world. Uh, it's fucking huge. Look it up. It's, like, it's fascinating. It's it's a really, really interesting um, ritual that they have. Um, and it's really... It's some of the most powerful music storytelling I've ever felt being there. Because a big thing is the Laulupidu started in, like, the 1860s or something like that. And it continued, and then Russia takes over. And Russia completely destroyed uh, Estonia. Um, like, entirely com- like decimated their whole country, their whole social system. Basically took all their shit. Um, but they kept... The Estonians asked the Russians, like, Hey, we need to keep the La Lupidu Festival. This is very important to us. And the Russians are like, fine, you get to keep it, but you have to sing the Russian national anthem during it. You have to sing a bunch of these Russian propaganda songs along with your own Estonian songs. And the thing is, the those songs became a form of rebellion because you sang them in Estonian. And the Russians didn't really give a shit, so they didn't learn Estonian. So a lot of the songs are about the pride of like being Estonian and how they're always resilient and how even during the darkest of times, they'll keep fighting, right, against this like russian force and eventually 1991 the cold war ends russia the ussr is destroyed russia pulls out of estonia the estonians are freed for the first time in like 100 uh, 100 years and the laulupidu since then has been just growing in how strong it is because every time people sing it there are people who are old enough and they're not even old like they're in their 30s who remember the ussr occupation of their country and how horrible it was and so when I'm singing with like these Estonians and I'm singing in a language I don't understand, so it doesn't really mean anything to me, I'm looking around and every single native Estonian is just sobbing, like with this powerful vigor of like, even the people who didn't live during the USSR because they understand it because it came from like their parents or like even their older siblings. And it's the feeling I got from watching this movie during that scene, like especially that shot of that woman crying when she's singing the French national anthem is the only time since participating in that Laulupidu festival where I've been like, that's that's fucking it. That's the importance of music right there. And it's it was fucking excellent. I had like flashbacks. It was great. I, that that might be my favorite scene of the movie, honestly. Um, just because it, it like reminds me of that Laulupidu festival. Yeah, it's fucking excellent. And also probably close to my favorite scene. Um, like absolutely one of the best. And I think part of what makes it so good is not only is it great as, like, an individual scene, but I think it does something really important character-wise, showing something to Rick. Mm. Which is that Laszlo, as a character, is going to be fundamentally important for the war, right? Yes, exactly. Like, in this narrative, he is necessary. And I think that scene is what eventually leads him to make the choice that he makes at the end of this movie. Like, I think that is, this is what leads up to that. Because he knows that Laszlo's important. From the first time he hears his name, the, it, like, Captain Renault says to him uh, that Victor Laszlo is coming to Casablanca. And Rick is like, Laszlo, eh? And Renault is like, that's the first time I've ever seen you be impressed. Yeah. 
So he, he always knew that he was important, but now he sees this scene and he realize, he starts to realize, I think, that his love for Ilsa is secondary to what Laszlo is doing and that he needs Ilsa. And there's so much that, in this movie about, and, like, greater good. Yeah. Like, you know, it's excellent. And part of it is, it is, like I said before, pro- propaganda. <laughs> like, yeah. flat, straight up propaganda. <laughs> This was this was a movie that was made during wartime to get people to be pro-war. I think the reason just to just to like kind of tie this up with a bow because I feel like we've talked about a lot of like the really powerful emotional moments coming from the it being a war movie and coming it from it being part of wartime and I want to talk about how that ties into and elevates the other big part of it which is the romance. Mm, yeah. Cuz I think if you just looked at the romance straight in the eye like flat out it is the most hokey melodramatic over the top shit ever <laughs> oh absolutely if i'm being honest when i was watching it this second time around the weakest part of the movie for me was the romance for me the weakest part is the flashback overall that well like, that's what i mean like um, by the romance is like that's where you get the most amount of romance between rick and or i guess you could argue it's that yeah. the second scene that you get between them when she like points the gun at him uh that's that's the best romantic part of the movie it's the best romantic yeah absolutely well yeah especially when like he's doing his his like you know you're more important than me to him or whatever yeah the flashback is it's it's necessary but it's it's weak it's just like ingrid bergman and humphrey bogart did not have a lot of chemistry as like people in real life oh yeah like they didn't dislike each other they just never really like meshed or bonded or talked um, there was a quote that I read in just to reference what I'm uh, I did some research on the movie to reference it's an article um, by Cine- Cinephilia and Beyond written by Sven I'm going to mess up his name is like Mikulik or something like that um, and <laughs> Mikulik it, well it's something it seems like it's like European that I can't read and in it he quotes like uh, another book by Ronald Haver about like Casablanca and somewhere I can't find the exact quote but like Ingrid Bergman uh, said something to the fact of, like, when, when talking about Humphrey Bogart, she said, like, you know, I may have kissed him, but I never really knew him because he was very absent on set. Yep. Yep. That That's, uh, that's uh, a quote that I heard, too. And part of it was the flashback scene and the kiss that happens uh, in the flashback scene. It was the first thing they filmed. <laughs> oh, my God. The first day on set, yeah. And Humphrey Bogart was actually... Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty that's great. That's really um, funny. Oh, that's really Humphrey funny. Bogart felt really awkward about it because this was only... Like, Humphrey Bogart did a lot of movies for Warner Brothers of a long time, but this is pretty early in his career as, like, an actual star. Yeah. His breakout film was um, The Maltese Falcon, which came out pretty recently before. I don't know. It was like a year or two before, I think. Yeah, I'll do some research. But, like, he wasn't used to being... He was used to being, like, the tough guy or the criminal who gets his, like, comeuppance. So he never had to really be a romantic lead, and he was still pretty awkward about it. So he was like, I'm doing a kiss on my first day on set, and I, like, it's not something I super feel comfortable with. Yeah. Um, Well, Humphrey, in general, didn't really, like, get the character of Rick. Like, the whole time, he kept, like, talking to the director and the producers about how, like, there are parts of Rick he wasn't, like, happy with. Yeah, he, he, he thought that he was, um, like, a... What did he, what did he say? He said, like, he whiny. Like, he thought he was, like, a... 
yeah a whiny weak like sentimental guy yeah which i think is very interesting um now he played him and he played him really well because i mean the dude was a professional he was he was an actor when acting was yeah he was an actor in a time when acting in american film was work like that was what it was that was it Mm-hmm. So you acted well, and you acted consistently, and you did it in, like, a much more traditional, like, work schedule time, rather than what we consider now. And we'll it's, get it was more of later. a job um, than, like, a gig, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, because actors and stars were under contract for studios, they were always up for a new film. You weren't, like auditioning to be cast a lot of the time what was happening was um they would get a uh, some writers to create a script and then they'd tell a director that, that this director was going to make this movie or whatever like a producer would choose the director and the director would like request actors and if they could get the actor great and if they couldn't they were going to get whoever the studio gave them yeah so it was always like you were always going to be called into the next film like, Humphrey Bogart had just finished filming another movie and had actually wanted an extra week of time off before starting Casablanca, and he wasn't given it. It really was next movie, next movie, next movie. So it didn't matter how he felt about the character, he was going to play him, and if he had to do it, he was going to do it well. Yeah, and you had to be like, and studios would trade you all the time. Like, uh, uh, mm-hmm. what's her Ingrid Bergman was traded from, like, I forget, I don't remember which producer, but, like, they there was an exchange of actresses because... The producer of this film really wanted Ingrid Bergman, and so you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Point um, you, like I actors don't really have that... much decisions; they just kind of do what they're told. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and yep, that was a big part of it. That you were you were traded, and usually you, the the way trading would work is they would offer to pay the actor actor or actress extra money, and whatever that extra money was would be taken by the studio. Yeah. Um. Because they were bastards. They were all bastards. We like that. That's gonna be something I think we could talk about later. We, could talk we about watched how Babylon. Every we, actor, we every yeah, yeah. We could talk about how every actor and actress had like his fourth husband was this person, <laughs> and his third wife left him because he, like every single person on this movie, um, like Humphrey Bogart was known for being kind of grouchy on this movie because his third marriage was falling apart. <laughs> And yeah. then he'd get married again later to when he was forty to a nineteen-year-old Lauren Bacall. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't know yeah. that. I don't like um, that. E, that's too big an age I know. gap. I, I apparently apparently they like really did love each other though. I mean, um, good for them, but still like e. I think I think we've kind of naturally gone into the like studio system and how these actors and how all of this worked, and we've talked a little bit about it. But I want to get into how differently this movie was made right how much do you like know about how this i mean we've talked a little bit about it but how much do you know about how how movies were put together uh generally it was i I have a very like minimal understanding like i don't understand the exact details the ins and outs but like kind of like you you touched on it a bit before is is there was the idea then the producer and then the producer picks out all the people or the producer picks out the director and then the director, maybe in tandem with the producer, picks out the actors. You throw up a set in, like, two seconds, film it for, like, eight weeks. Like, a really, really short film time. And you just, like, chop it up and edit. Like, usually a movie would be done from concept to release within a year. I believe. Which that's, is... That's about right. And Insane now, by the way. Like, gonna... movies now take, like, three to four years to make from concept to release. 
Um, yeah, fucking crazy. The movies were a business. And I want to get into kind of how it worked specifically for this movie and talk about, like, Warner Brothers' way of doing it. Because Jack Warner was the guy who, um like, got the movies made. Yeah. And he was, old, like, his influence was always felt on set. Like, you wouldn't see him, but he would he would watch every movie and, like, every reel, every, like, what was going on. He would know how much time it took you to film one scene on set. And if it was too long, the producer or Jack Warner would send you a letter being like, yo, you took way too long on this scene. That's a lot of film that you didn't need to use. <laughs> that costs money. Like, they were always notoriously cheap for that reason. And then... When the He's war that hit, guy they from modern times. More cheap. Yeah, yeah, kind of like like the factory. They, they were boss. Yeah. Um. So that was part of it. So the way it was set up was Casablanca was originally based off of a play. Yeah. It was called Everybody Comes to Rick's. Um. It was never published. I don't think it was never like made into a stage play. There was no like basis off of that. But these two writers, the Epstein brothers, took the the script of this play. They adapted it for the producer, Hal Wallace. Um, Hal Wallace was the producer. So Hal Wallace brings on these two brothers to adapt this script because he chose them because they were known for being able to adapt plays into movies, which happened all the time. Um, so they took the script and they chopped it up and they turned it into a basic movie script. And then another guy looked at it afterwards. Um, what was his name? Henry Koch, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. There were a bunch of different writers for this shit. Yeah, there was there was but the, he was the other accredited writer. Yeah. Um. Uh, he was accredited for doing a lot of like the romance stuff or solidifying the romance stuff. So he looked at it. He did a once over on it. And while the movie was being filmed, the Epstein's for the most part were off of it. Did some more work on it. And Koch was writing the ending as the movie was being filmed. Yeah. Well, so like then, the the last um, the 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 famous last not line was dubbed over a month after production wrapped. The I believe this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, is like the last addition mm-hmm. to that movie, because the ending yep. was being rewritten uh, up to the end. Yeah, they didn't they didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know how to sell it right. But the as the script's being done, the producer then finds a director he likes. He finds Michael Curtiz, super fascinating dude, by the way. Um, oh, oh, really, dude, his really fucking he invented the term uh, "flea in the ointment," which is wild. <laughs> um, well, yeah, he he uh, English was like his second language. Apparently, there like, was a joke made him where he he spoke all, tons of language languages, all of them equally poorly. Yeah, um, <laughs> I I read that too. Yeah, but he he made a lot of um he made a lot of great movies from that time, including one of my other favorites, The Adventures of Robin Hood. Oh, he made that. And he, yeah, he made The Adventures of Robin Hood. He made Captain Blood. He made a lot of shit. Um, that, that makes sense. I mean, like he seems like a good director of everything that I've read. Like you know, he did like he apparently a famous quote he was telling James Cagney says, "Don't do it the way I showed you. Do it the way I mean," which is fucking excellent. Uh, no, I I the dude was a bastard. Uh, like. Just I mean, everyone up. was. Um, we, we, we've covered this. Every, <laughs> everyone was. No, I know, but, like, uh, he's a good director. He hated actors. <laughs> like, <laughs> he thought they were... He thought they were all spoiled brats. And he would bully them. He would, bull, he would bully everyone on set all the time. And because he was yelling in broken English, he would say this nonsense. And it would always be the cruelest shit ever. Like, the dude was... And, I mean, you know, I love his movies. I love this movie. I love The Adventures of Robin Hood. He was competent. 
he was a bastard. I mean, I do like the fact that, like, there's something I read where the only person that could, like, really, like, stand up to Michael Curtiz was uh, Claude Rains, who would just, like, take everything by the shoulder. Like, apparently at one point, uh, Curtiz had, like, Claude Rains enter a door, like, 20 times because he kept saying that he wants him to come in faster bro just comes in on a bike in the next take it's great i love it yeah there's there's like a lot of canon about uh, multiple people on set loving to fuck with people oh Um, yeah specifically humphrey bogart claude rains and peter laurie uh peter laurie plays ugarte uh that's that story i've heard is possibly apocryphal like there isn't a lot of like evidence to back it up um, Claude Rains loves telling it because it's Claude Rains, and of course he would love telling that. Oh um, well, yeah, he's fucking Claude. Claude Rains is just gonna say Claude Rains shit, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there were a lot of people who would like challenge Curtis. Apparently, like any day on set with Michael Curtis, there was like a fight. Something was gonna happen because the dude was just so confrontational. That set sounds really fun to watch from like a distance. If I'm being <laughs> honest, I would maybe abs- it would be either really fun or really depressing. No, it's um, true. Yeah, it depends on like what like, the fights were. Yeah, he was known for like bullying actresses and being like incredibly cruel to them. Uh, and what I think is really interesting is that one of the rare occurrences of that not being the case is with Ingrid Bergman. This is the only movie he ever worked on with her, and apparently he was like super nice to her, like like incredibly sweet, which I think is interesting. I don't know why. Um, I mean, she seems like she's like he, a really nice person, so it makes sense if he's like you know chilling out with her. Yeah, uh, she was talked about as, like, a person who had, like, one of the only people who had, like, actual genuine kindness on a movie set. Oh. And she was looked at as, um, like, a Madonna figure. Not, yeah. like, Madonna the... But, like, like she was Mother looked Mary. At as, like, this, this... Yeah, she was, you know, perfect and sweet. And then she had an affair. <laughs> yeah. And everyone, like, turned on her. Uh, there was a reporter who... To- who talked to her after this affair and he was like i don't want anything from you i just want to read all of the letters you got and she had like multiple bags of hate mail from people who were like saying the meanest shit ever because she had an affair which is such a double standard from all of the fucking it's (laughs) like such bullshit like one of the things i read from this book uh by ronald haver which is titled uh american film there's a chapter about casablanca as he said, like, the mm-hmm. popularity of Ingrid Bergman came from his, her, and he, he says, quote, like, virginal beauty, which I hate that word, but that is, like, his quote, whatever, I'll use it. Um, and then because yeah, of the that, affair, yeah, it, like, destroyed everything, because this view of this woman who's perfect in every way, would never do anything sinful, has an affair, and, of course, like, all the men are like, you mother, you motherfucker. Yeah. Carmella! Yeah. <laughs> you... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like it is it is that it is that double standard that yeah. that was a big part of it because uh, interestingly enough Humphrey Bogart was actually very much a loyalist about marriage. He was like I if if I'm married to you I will be incredibly loyal to you until like I get a divorce because obviously he was married four times. Um <laughs> so he had he had he had these very weird and interesting um like extreme opinions on marriage. Um <laughs> And I think also Claude Rains had those opinions from what I, from what I remember is that they shared that, that personal philosophy that not a lot of actors at the time had. Well, people call like Um, those actors, like the gentlemen of Hollywood is a thing that I've heard before, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm assuming a lot of that's less about their actual personality, more about the characters 
that they portrayed on screen. But you know, a lot of yeah, times in terms of in terms of personality, uh, Humphrey Bogart was either loved or hated by his directors. Yeah, <laughs> um, like. Billy Wilder fucking hates Humphrey Bogart. Dude, they had a beef, didn't they? <laughs> they fucking like, hated working with him. What? Didn't they have, like, a strong beef with each other? I don't remember that. I just remember they, they were... After working on a movie with Humphrey Bogart, Billy Wilder thought he was, like, the most unprofessional, just, like, <laughs> petty asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I think we've... This is, we've got a very good flow going on, talking about all the things. Um, yeah. Well, one thing that I want to, yeah, this... or that I just think is like, while we're on the topic of like, the way that the interactions of like director and actors go, um, is like, the fact that like the the director the 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 way this movie was made, which is kind of what we were talking about before. This movie's an international ass movie. Like it's, it's crazy. You know, you have Michael Curtiz, who's Hungarian, I think yes he is yeah. hungarian you know, he's hungarian you have the play that it was based off was written by this guy after he go he went to uh paris on vacation and saw like the anti-semitism yep. coming from the nazis he watched the nazis invade paris um and then he took refuge in this uh uh little cafe and uh when he like went in this cafe he was like man this is a sick-ass cafe I'm going to make a whole ass play about it. Um, so like the, the, mm-hmm. the crazy thing about Casablanca is it's like kind of based off a true story. Not exactly right. Like very loosely based, but like Rick's yeah. Rick's, uh, uh, whatever his thing's called Rick's American cafe or whatever. It's like based off of, I think it says it's based off the nightclub called La Belle Aurore that overlooked the Mediterranean. You had that vibe of like a bunch of just refugees from this war, whether they're Nazis or whether they're Jews or whether they're, you know, these like mm-hmm. different people that have been just displaced from both sides. And they're just all like in this. They're lost in this space. That's one of the things I love about this movie. The fucking setting, dude. It's great. Like, you know, I'm a sucker for oh a good God, setting. It's... Yeah. I mean, like, it's so very clearly based off of a play when you've got. It's it takes place in a bar where you've got French soldiers, oh, German yeah. soldiers, uh, refugees from different countries, um, like all people displaced by the war and all with different motivations and you want to know what character beats and stuff. It's I, I I wrote in my notes. I wrote the Sandman, the World's End. I don't know if you remember that issue of Sandman. I don't remember it very well. It. it it gave me a lot of. I'm. I'm. Ass, I'm gonna assume that Neil Gaiman was inspired by this movie to make that because one, everyone's seen this movie, or at least he definitely has. Um, and that book, that that whole comic is basically these characters that are just. He's very much you know doing a Sandman thing, so he just says like it's a time when where people go where when they're lost or whatever. Nothing's explained because nothing's ever explained. <laughs> but it's like where where the lost people find themselves, and it's just a bunch of these magical ass creatures that tell each other stories in this old bar and they're all lost at some point in time at some point in space in some dimension in some reality and they're just you know telling these stories with each other and the vibes i got watching this i was like this is just this is that that issue from the sandman and it's fascinating Mm -hmm. i love i I, the -hmm. setting dude it settings kill me like when they're really good when it's a good ass setting that's my favorite part of any movie yeah the setting the setting's fucking like phenomenal it's it's it is what makes the movie i think probably there's a lot of things that make the movie 
and I think part of what makes the movie is I I don't know if like I got to it like the movie the the romance is so dramatic and over the top and if it was just the romance it would be hokey yeah but because of the stakes of what's happening of everything happening around them right like the stakes have never been higher than World War Two I think like just just in general over maybe maybe not entirely but like you for can't the time the movie was made that. that was they thought world war one was the world to end all the war to end all wars that's what it was called and then world war two happens 20 years later and it's bigger yeah like it's you know it's it's huge um so it, for for the time the movie was made that was like the biggest point of like oh shit <laughs> what the fuck yeah, when the stakes are so high then what that what's at stake is the actual world, right? Like, what is the future going to look like? Yeah. That's the stakes. Who's going to win this war? What's going to happen next? And the romance is uplifted by that, right? Like, the the melodrama of how movies were written at this time and how the -the over-the-top romance is done only works in this movie so well because it takes place in in a world where, like, the stakes were so high. And everyone had these things going on behind them. Um, And then, you know, the romance does become the smallest part of the movie. That's the, that's the, that's the meaning of the end, right? It's like everything we, however important we think our love is, it's not as important as what's going on out there. uh, What's the line? The hill of beans, right? Yeah, yeah. The (laughs) Um, the hill of beans. The problems of two small people only amount up to a hill of beans in this crazy world. Something like that, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's, it's such a like crazy line, but it's right. That, that's kind of the point of the movie is however much this romance is and however much we want it to work, it can't because what's really important is this war. Um, yeah. Which, like, you know, comes back to these propagandist elements that I think... Greater s- good. ...really yeah. support the movie. Yeah. Yeah. This movie, the point of this movie is the greater good is, uh, you know, uh, uh, takes priority overall and whatever you want to, however you want to say it is like, you know, you got to make sacrifices for your, you know, your duty to your country, all that fun shit. Yeah. Like, um, you know, we talked about how Humphrey Bogart is the, probably the biggest, um, blueprint for Han Solo, not Humphrey Bogart. Rick is the biggest blueprint for Han Solo. And part of what I think the sequels got wrong in continuing that character is that the point of the original trilogy, in the same way that, like, the point of Casablanca is for Rick, is that he's found the reason, like, he's found his need to fight for something again. Like, he can no longer hide behind his fake cynicism. That's, yeah. that's, that's Han Solo's thing. He's doing Rick. And then the yeah. sequels should, like, keep that, right? Like... If you want the sequels to go on, and if you want Han Solo and Princess Leia to be, like, not seeing each other anymore, the reason why should be Han Solo chose the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. He chose the bigger fight. If a possible future to Casablanca is similar to the sequels to Star Wars, what should happen is this character should hold firm in their morals. Because they are a moral, sentimentalist character at heart. They just don't want to admit that to themselves at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, I don't stick my neck out for nobody. Like, um, Renault says, Captain Renault, he goes, um, Because, Rick, I believe at heart you are a sentimentalist. Yeah. (laughs) And he's right. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Well, like, like, straight up, like, the dude is the epitome of, like, 
fucking I Ilsa Lund says it at one point so she's just like I think you just feel sorry you want to feel sorry for yourself you know and so you're stuck here yeah yeah exactly yeah. like he, he could have um, left Casablanca at any point but he chose to stay in his purgatory yeah well in fairness he can't go back to America we know that um, yeah we never but, know but why. he doesn't have to stay in Casablanca which is supposed to be this like just terrible ass yeah, place like, yeah shit place <laughs> yeah um do we want to talk more about World War Two? Do we want to talk about like how how World War Two affected the actual making of this movie and the making of movies in general? I think that's good. I also want to get like more into yeah because we the only characters we've talked about are the ma- two main ones and there's a bunch of other like because I think characters yeah, yeah, are yeah, huge yeah, things yeah. so I think those are the two the two points we should tap on at some point. I don't know which one you okay, want to tackle I, first. I, I, I... Let's 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 take a look at the characters because I want to talk about World War Two and its effect, and I also want to talk about the Hayes Code a bit because mm. how the Hayes Code affected this movie is really interesting. Oh, I don't um, know anything about that. Yeah, I'd be interested. Yes, I will. I we will talk about it. So, All right. I, I, yeah, we. I mean, we've talked a little bit about Captain Renault, who is played by Claude Rains, one of the greatest characters. Excellently. Actors of all time. Oh my the god. Dude is just. I. Dude's just a phenomenal performer. Yeah. Um, like. His first movie was The Invisible Man. I don't know if you knew that. Like, I did know that. That was his first. It was his yeah. first picture, and the reason why he got chose for it, he did a but he did an audition, and apparently it was a terrible audition because he was a theater actor, so it was too big, too over the top. Yeah. But they were going through a bunch of like bad audition tapes, and the director heard his voice and was like, "I don't care what he looks like. That's the voice <laughs> I want for this movie because he, yeah. he was playing an invisible character." Yeah. He was playing this invisible character, so that's that's how he became the invisible man. But the dude, like, is everywhere. Um he was like, you know, another big movie he was in, Adventures of Robin Hood. <laughs> oh, he is? Um God, I gotta watch that yeah, movie. He plays, don't I? he plays he plays the king. It's great. Oh man, I gotta watch that movie. <laughs> dude, we reference it too much it. for me to he not watch that movie. It. I know. Oh man. I I mean, you should watch it specifically like Maybe we'll do an episode on it one day because I think doing some research into the musical history of that movie. Oh, dude, that's really right up my alley. Stuff. Really, really interesting stuff. Yeah. I know. I like. I would love to give that give that gift to you. That's I, one of my favorite movies. I ever. might talk for like a straight hour. Is my warning. That's okay. <laughs> that means I can rest my voice. <laughs> I know you're you're just chilling in the background. Uh, no, I yeah, look, man. I'll hear you nerd about about music any day. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. But yeah, no, Claude Rains' character uh, is interesting because he, like, partially serves as comedic relief, but is also, like, man, a total asshole. Like, such a weenie. I think I wrote he's such a weenie at some point. Yeah, you know, he's, uh, he, he is, he is the most similar to Rick as a person, right? That, that's kind of the point. He is, like, kind of a foil, right? He's supposed to reflect, he's, he's supposed to show that Rick is putting on a facade and is actually a good person, while Renault is kind of like a self-interested self-serving bastard and eventually the end of the movie shows because of rick he gets he becomes resolved in his morals and you know he throws away the bottle of german wine and they run off together to go fight in the war because yeah. they, like he he is affected renault in this way but early on he is supposed to kind of show that while rick may present himself as a man who sticks his neck out for nobody and is kind of a bastard is actually a good person and wants to help people because we get the scene with, um, which we talked about a little bit before, where um, Renault wants to sleep with one, an, a woman in order to give her and her husband two visas, travel yeah. visas, because he's the only person who can approve them. 
Um, which is evil. <laughs> it's like fucking awful thing to do. Oh, yeah, like I, that's when I wrote, yo, fuck you, Claude Rains. Yeah, like, and, you know, I don't think it's treated as evil in, in the time of this movie. It is. Like, yeah. I think it's treated as bad and not it's a It's treated thing, as wrong, but, you know, but still... not like a deplorable thing to do, you know? Yeah, like, because the next thing that happens is he's like, I'll let you know that I have a blonde coming in tomorrow, and I yeah. would be very upset. I'll be very happy if she loses, because the what, what happens is Rick decides to help the husband by letting him win at the, um, what's the name of the, the game? It's uh, craps, right? Roulette table. Oh, roulette. No, it's roulette. Yeah, roulette. Uh, by letting him win at the roulette table so he has enough money to buy the visas. Um, and he interferes with Claude Rains' place. Now, in fairness, seeing seeing Captain Renault's face when he reacts oh, it's so to funny. Rick helping them is fucking hilarious. It's, it's very priceless. funny. And part of, like, what makes this character who is a bastard piece of shit, like, fun to watch is he is played by such an excellent character actor. Um, yeah. But he is meant to show that Rick is a good person, and that is that is primary function, and to be the funniest character in the fucking movie. He's like every scene of banter between Humphrey Bogart and Claude Rains just makes this movie so much more entertaining. Uh, he got the most laugh out louds for me. Like I like he's very much he tells the joke and I'm like ha like a single loud ha. Like there's a there's a great part early on um, where he talks about how in Casablanca I am the master of my own fate, and then a, a man comes in and is like. Uh, Captain Renault, Major Strasser is here to see you. And Rick's like, yeah, you were saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's I like, remember that. It's like so all, funny. All of, their, all of their banter of these people who are so similar, but only Renault knows are actually different, is great. And he makes the movie very funny, as well as all of the serving cast. Um, yeah. We're all, like, I don't know a lot about them. Uh, they're all well-known character actors, especially the waiter. Um, he was known, he was, like, hired to do one kind of gimmick. Um, the German or Sasha? The German. The the waiter. The the bigger guy. Big glasses boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not Sasha. Sasha's the bartender. Um, right, 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 right. The bartender. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. fucking love um, that waiter guy. The waiter guy's great. Because there's like one scene where he bumps into the pickpocket. Oh, and he, he just checks, checks his all his pockets. pockets. For everything <laughs> because, which is such a good thing. Like, these people exist in this world. And he's also a freedom fighter. He is part of the underground in Casablanca that is uh, anti-Nazi. Um, yeah. as is the bartender. At least it's implied that Sasha is also part of it. It's um, implied that m- a good chunk of the characters we see are part of it, but we never know which ones for sure, yeah. except for Victor Laszlo and, uh, German, uh, waiter guy. How the fuck haven't we talked about Sam? Wait, I meant to talk about this, because one of the first notes I took, hold on, uh, this man ain't playing no piano, because, like, like, he's a wonderful singer, <laughs> wonderful performer if you watch his hands next time you watch this movie he is not playing that piano he's just kind of <laughs> smacking it with his palms and it's really funny to me like yeah, i was dying of laughter every time it like shows the keys because uh, he's just he's legit just slapping that piano yeah yeah and I, he's he's great he's played by dooley wilson who was um he was a theater actor too a lot a lot of these people were theater actors but he started you can off tell this a is a theatrical actor. ass movie yeah uh he is absolutely a black caricature like yeah for real he literally disappears in the second half which is like weird because the only thing he does while he exists is just be worried about rick and the fact that ilsa is back yeah oh dude the fucking look he has when he first sees ilsa walking in he's like oh (laughs) oh shit it's so funny he's so good at it though yeah like 
this man is a phenomenal performer, Julie Wilson. He's giving, like, such a great and I think pretty subtle performance of, like, this person who just always is giving support in the background. Yeah. Oh, I fucking love when, like, uh, Ferrari asks, like, Sam, like, if and, like Humphrey Bogart goes to Sam and he's like, hey, you want to go work for Ferrari here? He's like, no, sir, I like it here. And he's like, yeah, well, he pay you twice as much as I do. Well, I don't have any time to spend the money you give me. It's great. Yeah, he's great. Uh, like, I just, we got, got, I wish we got to see a little bit more of him actually being friends with Rick and friends with Ilsa, because he knows yeah. both of these people and he was there all the time, but he never, like, the waiter, like, Sasha and, um, the waiter who's played, whose name is Carl, um, Sasha and Carl are both, like, shown to be, like, and even, uh, the guy who runs the gambling, uh, place, Oh, I don't remember I don't, his name, but I, I know who you're talking about. Cast. But yeah, the guy the guy who runs the roulette table, they're all shown to have like friendships or at least good working relationships with Rick and they don't get as much screen time, but the screen time they get is well written. <laughs> yeah, and, like, and it's meaningful. They feel like characters and Sam doesn't get that same same respect, which sucks. Because he also does one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which is the knock on wood scene. Oh yeah. Which, I sing all the time. I almost wanted to start the movie with that. <laughs> like, the, the I mean, the podcast episode with that. I was oh. like, but I didn't want to start, like, knocking on shit. <laughs> I was about to say, that would be um, great audio for just, bam, bam. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, no, but I, I, I think Sam, as I was watching it, I, I have mixed feelings about Sam. Because I think he's the best, pro- I don't know, I think he's the best worst written character in this movie. Because, like, I, th- I, I think that the, what I'm trying to say is, like, there's potential. There's a lot of really good potential that I like about the way uh, Dooley Wilson performs Sam. Because he feels like he's the most human, almost. Uh, you know, when you or compare him. the most him, grounded. That's the most it... grounded. That's, I think, better. Because, well, you, you're comparing him to fucking Ilsa Lund and Jack, whatever his last name. Or, or not Jack, Rick. Whatever his name is. And they're just Rick fucking. Blaine. like Rick Blaine. And they're just fucking smitten with each other doing their, like, oh, I love you so much. Oh, I wish I didn't love you. Oh, no. And you're all that, you know, over-the-top moochie-moochie. And then you just have, like, Sam, who's just, just, like, chilling in the back. Like, it would be really kind of funny if we had, like, scenes, more scenes between him and, like, these other two characters where he's just like, yeah, y'all two aren't good for each other. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, yeah. he's, I don't know. It's he very much, it, it's, it's, it's just... It's how Hollywood worked back then. You wanted a black character, but you wanted a black like side character. He's he's yeah, you don't give yeah, him any yeah. personality. Like, they exist to be like a performer, or to be like it's like I, it, it sucks, but it's a fucking like it's a reminder of like the minstrel shows, right? You know, there's no personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's for the what's it? It's a gimmick. That's what it is. The reason why he exists is to make Humphrey Bogart look better and to feel bad for Humphrey Bogart when he's sad. In a yeah, it just it sucks. It's unfortunate. It sucks. He's a I great don't want performer, more Sam. Though. He's yeah. And, Dooley Wilson seems so nice. I yeah. like. It. Yeah, I would like. I would like to see more. I would like to see more of him in the movie as an actual character. And I think yeah, that's like agreed. the basics of it. Are there any other like side characters you want to? Talk? Oh, Peter Lorre. Holy shit, we got to talk about Ugarte. Um, yeah. Um, he he was uh, another person who was like a theater like actor. And he eventually found, fell down the rabbit hole of becoming pretty much just doing work in Vincent Price movies later on. He was in those, like, really kind of hokey, over-the-top horror movies. But he, he fell into that, like, kind of 
um, ridiculous casting later. Also a person who was close, who was friends with Humphrey Bogart in real life. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Like, they got impossibly wasted together. Um, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, just talking about his character, though, like, aside from the actor, it's tragic, almost. Like, when he's, like, running up to Rick, and he's like, Rick, you gotta hide me, you gotta help me. And then, like, Rick's just like, where, where are you gonna run? You know, like... It's not that he won't yeah, help. Like, it's like, what the fuck is he gonna do? <laughs> like, there's nothing to do. Yeah, you're you're in... caught. Yeah, it's like I'm so, like I wish I could help you. Like he is a sentimentalist. No, he... there's nothing you can do. Yeah, I don't think he would have helped him at that point though. Also, because the dude is a bastard. Like we know yeah. he's a bad person, right? I he don't is, stick my neck is... out for nobody. Uh, uh like uh. <laughs> What does Humphrey Bogart say? He's, oh, yeah, he's like, I don't mind parasites, only cut-rate ones. <laughs> yeah, that line got um, a laugh out of me. Yeah, yeah, because that, that's what he was. You know, he was he was just, he was another person leeching off of the people trying to escape to Casablanca. And while he was also trying to escape, um, he murdered two people, took some papers, and tried to escape, and he got caught. And yeah. he's, he's so, he, he's not really in the movie for a long time, but he's... He's so memorable just because of I think his performance and just I like Peter Lorre a lot. He's much bigger in um the the Maltese Falcon, which he's also in. Mm. I should watch that movie. You should. That has actually three uh big actors from this movie. You've got Humphrey Bogart, you've got Peter Lorre, and you've got Sidney Greenstreet who plays um Signor Ferrari, who is the the black market owner yeah. of the um the blue parrot. Dude, I fucking love Ferrari. Ferrari's great. Do you know why he's called Ferrari? Why is it called Ferrari? So, so, in because this was made during World War Two, they didn't want they wanted to have set as little possible allies as possible. So any character who was shown as being like morally bankrupt or not to be oh, trusted, they make him Italian, was like Italian, Italian, which is so fucking funny that's, to me. That's that's like oh, that's great. That's so funny. Yeah, no. Oh my god! It's phenomenal. Oh so my that's god. that's why he. So they just named him fucking it, Ferrari. Holy shit! He had a different name, and because he's a character in the original play. Um, yeah. Well, a lot of the names were changed. Like, uh, uh, Ilsa Lund was originally like Lois, someone or something like that, and she was American. Yeah, she was American. <clears throat> yeah. Well, she was more she was like American. Humphrey Bogart's character, you know. Yeah. Well, she was she was American, and she was like you know much more probably closer to like a femme fatale from what I heard. She was like yeah. having an affair. Like they sleep together the first time they meet in the play. Um, okay, wait. That I want to talk about the Hayes Code just for a second. Yeah, go 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 go. The Hayes Code was a thing that existed from I believe 1932 to sometime in the 50s, and it was created because a bunch of uh, Catholics got together and they were really upset about Hollywood and they were like, look, if you don't follow our rules, we're going to ban all Catholics from watching any movie. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, a, group to, a group of people came together to put together a code of like what you could and could not put in movies. And mm -hmm. th that affected a lot of Hollywood films, including this one. And one of the big well, things wasn't was... wasn't the Hayes Code like a precursor to the MPAA? I'm not I like I don't know a lot about the Hayes Code past this and I don't know a lot about its relation with the MPAA. I I do know that like the Hayes Code actually helped this movie, I think. Oh. So 
you know the scene where uh uh like the line the Germans wore gray, you wore blue. Yeah. Right? There's some sexual undertones in that, right? <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. And um, she's like, I'm not gonna wear that dress again until the Germans leave or something. Yeah, yeah, like but there's a lot of there's a lot of sexual implications in this movie, innuendos. And if it wasn't for the Hayes Code and it's very rigid like this you can't do this, this, this or anything anything of this nature, um it meant that they had to be subtle and creative with how they did things. And I mm. think it helps. I think it helps with this movie specifically. I don't think it would help with every movie. And I think overall it's a bad thing to exist. But it is fair that, like, if Casablanca was made now, they would absolutely be shown sleeping with each other in the flashback. Right? That would just oh, happen. absolutely, yeah. And I, I think the movie is better for just having the implication of these two people having this wild love affair. And also, the heavy implication that they definitely had sex the night she pulls a gun on him. But... They oh, weren't yeah. allowed to, like, imply it at all. The guy who ran the Hayes Code was like, you can't have a bed be shown in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, seriously? I don't even know yes, bed. they weren't, like, if you go back, <laughs> if you go back, they're not allowed to put a bed in the scene oh, because it would, um, it so would imply funny. that they had sex. Yeah, that's but, like, so the Hayes funny, Code was dude. crazy. It was because it was made by a bunch of, like, true prudes um yeah yeah so there's a lot of stuff like that but i do think overall it does it does create this like sense of um of like innuendo and like there is some steaminess and romance but it's all so subtle because what's really important is is everything else going around them right like when those two things are talked about in the same sentence in this subtle way i think it adds more you know it's it's a it's an imply don't tell sort of situation yeah i mean and i think that works better especially when you're doing the whole melodrama like it's fucking like mm -hmm. oh i loved you but we cannot show it on screen because that would be too much for me in this moment oh you know i fucking love how yeah, like yeah, over yeah. the top their romance is i think that's like if if they try to take themselves more seriously i don't think it would have worked i think that it's 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 fucking rad how much it's just like bought into yeah, yeah, it's like, she's like, she she kisses him once and she's like, I, I had the strength to leave you then, I'll never have the strength to leave you again. Um, yeah. You do or the like, thinking for both of us. Or the fucking, the, the famous line, the kiss me, kiss me as if it were the last time, you know. <laughs> because it was, you know, that's, yeah. Yeah. Um, but dude, I wrote down all the quotes, like the famous quotes from this movie, and let me count them, one, two, three, four, five... Six, seven, eight. I have eight, like, super famous quotes from this movie. Yeah, because the movie is incredibly quotable and still quoted to this day for people who probably, like, don't realize that it comes from this, right? Like, I think Here's Looking at You, Kid, is everywhere. Um, yeah. Well, even I think this is the beginning of A Beautiful Friendship is so famous, you know? Oh, yeah. That's probably the biggest one, actually. Um, yeah. Well, and people, like, don't always attribute it to Casablanca. They just kind of attribute it to, like, uh, black and white films. Like, I heard someone say it's from Citizen Kane, and I'm like, eh, it's not. Oh, my fucking God. Talk about two entirely different movies. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> oh, man. I don't think I could even talk about Citizen Kane. That movie's just wild. That movie's so much. It's a it's a great movie. Like, watch it. I, I think Citizen Kane gets this bad rap because it's always talked about, like, one of the best movies ever. It's not a dull or even long movie. 
No, that's right? a, it's like, a it's speedy what, watch. Long? I don't think it's even that. Honestly, I think that that movie is quicker paced than Casablanca. Yeah, well, Casablanca has to feel like a bit more drawn out. It has to feel big, and it's it's also you know, um, it's a uh, it's only an hour and forty minutes long. Casablanca. Um, how long is Citizen Kane? Okay, Citizen Kane is two hours long, but it feels okay. like really breezy, and I would just it's, highly recommend that watch it. Quick. Check it out. It's fun. Yeah. Um, Orson Welles is one of the most entertaining performers you can ever watch, and also he's all up in he, it. Yeah, and he he looks like eerily like me, which I don't like. It like freaks me out a bit. Why, dude? Young because... Orson Welles was fucking hot. Yeah, I know. Look, I get like it, I'm taking it as a compliment, but every time I watch this movie, I'm like, I'm looking at a whiter version of myself, and it's like giving me uncanny. <laughs> like I get uncanny value from it. Is is what I kind of get every uh, time I see his young face. <laughs> just a fun movie, like a good movie and a great movie, and deserving of its title is one of the best. Um, but also just like an enjoyable watch, a really yeah. breezy, fast, like breakneck pace almost movie of like this man's life. Yeah, no, it's it's great. It's um, not like this, like, oh, we must wait and ponder about life's great. It's not one of, like, it's not dinner with Andre or anything. No, yeah, it is It is a, um, like, brutal and fast-paced expose of but what a man motivated by capitalism will look like. Yeah. Now, before we, um, going back from the detour, before we wrap up, did you want to talk about, like, how World War II affected the whole, like, industry? Yeah. I think I think we ended up kind of weaving it in a bit more, um, but I do want to talk a little bit about like World War Two is in many ways uh, accredited with being one of the early reasons why the studio system started to fall apart um, mm-hmm. because the because all of these people they treated like shit and like you know were very strict with actors and writers and directors what they could and couldn't do when they were doing it how they were using resources how much time they were spending on writing. Um, couldn't really be done as much when a lot of those actors and writers and directors came back as captains and you know like yeah, were given titles credits. because they fought in this war um but the thing that affected it in real time was the access to resources they had was limited they were no longer allowed to film in the actual ocean because you know submarines sorry that's really funny to we already me. like talk- hey we can't film in the ocean because you might literally die. <laughs> yeah, like that was that was like a possibility. Um, you know, a bunch of refugees came to act and write and perform. We talked about that earlier. They're all over this movie. Um, actually, the guy who plays um, Strasser, um, the which the, one's that? The German guy. He's um, he's he's the lead German dude. Oh, um, oh yeah. Oh, I fucking he, love him. He's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, he's German. Um, he's an actual German actor. Uh, he 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 wasn't Jewish, but he was married to a Jew- Jewish woman. He, like a lot of the people who played Nazis in Hollywood were refugees from World War Two. Wow! <laughs> right? Like they were they were extreme anti-Nazis, but because they were German and because they were in Hollywood and they needed to make these propagandist anti anti-Nazi films, they were typecast in these roles as Nazis. And I don't know how they felt about that. I haven't heard a lot about that. I, I, I'm sure you could go either the way of, like, I believe in this because I believe people need to see how evil these people are and I'm willing to portray that. Or, like, I don't like being seen as this. Um, yeah. but that was or, like, this is a mockery of the actual horrors that I've witnessed, you know? 
a lot of the resources they used became extremely limited and the amount of movies they could make became limited because those resources were needed to make planes and bombs and weapons. Um, yeah. And I, that I just want to touch on that a little bit because I think this is like an extreme product of that in a lot of ways. And it's so fascinating how that changed movie making for like a large part in the long run, right? Like the studio system falling apart and the, the serious need for change is what led to like a lot of the movies we're going to talk about later, especially stuff like The Godfather. The and yeah, how that's what Autorship, yeah. Autorship became like the thing for being a great movie is like a director is the author. Well, this movie is a phenomenal movie that has no one influence, no signature or like the author of this movie because it mm-hmm. be- came from the studio system. And the studio system was bad, I think. I think it was like you know, a factory for movies and it made a lot of great movies and it came from the philosophy of these men who wanted to make movies and cared about movies but also really wanted to make money and wanted these movies yeah. to come out fast and an unreasonable rate. Um, and eventually, after our tour theory, like, the falling apart of the studio system would lead to the new way for these studios to make money, which was giant blockbusters, big over-the-top movies that would make tons of money and over time over probably from the 80s up until now became more and more dominant over the um of what would happen until we get like i think the real kickoff of it which was the mcu and how effective the mcu was god damn that was a fucking saga dude yeah i I do want to know i I was picturing you like like charlie day you know with the the posters behind him and the crazed hair yeah i i just think i think that's fascinating and i think this this movie in terms of the other movies we're going to talk about later, is a great setting of the groundwork. Yeah. I mean, that's the point of this series of the classics, is how has filmmaking evolved through the decades, and what are the best examples of that evolution? You know, I, it's a, I, if you haven't seen Casablanca, one, why are you still listening to this episode? Uh, but, you know, watch it. Yeah, please please watch it. It's It's... It is a movie that is definitely, you know, from the 40s, but because of its placing in, of being, like, its main motivation being anti-Nazi, and it coming from a genuine place because of the people who made the movies, and because, you know, well, Jack Warner and Harry Warner were both Jewish. They were Jewish men who ran this studio, so, you know, they were very passionate about this thing. Um, mm-hmm. And how that, like, influenced everything led to this movie having a lot of, like, genuine air to it. And that's really important, and it's a very good movie, and it's a very entertaining movie. Try to watch it in as as big of a way as possible, because it really, it doesn't require that, but it helps it a lot, and it'll make you just, it'll put you in a really good place for watching a movie. It's so much fun. Yeah, it's it's a movie-ass movie, you know? It's just, uh, <laughs> it deserves a big screen, because it's a big movie. Um, I think it's, I think you could equate it to like the same as like a 40s blockbuster except instead of big explosions and big action it's big performance and you know big characters um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a stage play that's what it feels like that's i think what i noticed a lot about this second yeah. viewing i was like i i because i was reading in the opening credits it says based off the play i didn't read that before and i was like that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot a lot of sense yeah yeah it it it, it totally does i think it's bigger than a play and especially coming from like american theater which american theater compared to american cinema is extremely um like reserved and personal and actor based in terms of like 
you know, you've got stuff that came later, like All My Sons is a movie that comes that takes place after World War Two, um, and is about like some of the repercussions of that, and it's just about some people, and I think this mm-hmm. movie took a play that was probably a lot more personal and very different from what I know and turned it into something that was big and fit that like truly big screen part of like forties cinema. Yeah. All right. Are we like, I think, I think we've covered a lot of the things we wanted to cover. Um, I think we have there. There is a thing. Okay. You can choose whether to include this in the episode or not. Cause I'm saying it at a weird time when we've kind of wrapped up. But I do just want to bring up Walking Dead season one straight up rips off this movie with uh, Ilsa having an affair, thinking that her spouse is dead with like this rugged guy that's like this like total like Han Solo type. And then it turns out her (laughs) spouse was alive and then she has to deal with both of them at the same time. That's the plot for seasons one and two of The Walking Dead. I don't know. I just want to bring that up because I noticed it halfway through the movie and it really bothered me. And I needed to just vocalize it, and now I vocalize it, and I feel that's, better. That's very, that's very funny. I was not expecting to talk about The Walking Dead in this, but yes, I, I, I haven't watched it, so I, I can't really put input on that. But I think that's very interesting and entertaining. Um, yeah. All right. This has been well, uh, critically loud. Uh, stay tuned. Next week we will be talking about Vertigo, which is one of the greatest films of all time. One of the best on this list of movies that we've picked. It is phenomenal. It, it is on HBO Max, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is that? I believe HBO so. Max? Go watch if it. If it's not, okay, wait. Um, if it's it is, not, buy the movie. That's a movie to own. That is a movie to have yeah. on your Blu-ray collection, a, on your wall, like, you know, uh, in, like, your yeah, file cabinet, like, you wherever know, you keep Buy movies. it on Amazon Prime, if you, whatever you want to do. Like, it's just worth watching. Um, Very different movie. Uh, Casablanca yeah. we watch is a very hopeful, very, like, I wouldn't say light, but at least, like, enjoyable watch. Um, Vertigo is going to get in your head and fuck you up. But in Vertigo is way. maybe one of my uh, favorite movies it. of all time. And Yes, I am I also up there with that. It's, it's just one of the best. But stay tuned for next week for that, and we'll be talking all about yep. it. Now, of last words, I would like to, to just say one final thing about this episode. You know, because I think it's important to be said, to be thankful viewership that we have nine people that listen to the modern times episode you know because you know i mean we got that it's not bad but look just listen of all the podcasts of all the radio stations in the world you walked into ours thank you join us for next week's episode